Thanks, you guys, so much for leading us in worship. All right, well, before we jump into the Word, let's pray again real quick. Father God, thank you for this time we've already had so far to, to worship you and to praise you, to give to you. Um, we're just grateful for how incredible you are. Pray for this time, Father, that your Holy Spirit would teach us, guide us, and lead us through these words this morning, Father, in your, in your, uh, in your Word, God, and that we would learn from it, we'd be taught However the Holy Spirit decides, Father, I pray that um, you will do a work that um, causes us to move forward in our trust and our faith in you, in your son's name. Amen. Well, one of the most difficult things in life is living with unfulfilled desires. Wouldn't you agree? That's a pretty tough thing. Book of Proverbs even addresses this truth when it says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But, the desire, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, I don't know what unfulfilled desire you might have been living with or be living with, but could be the desire to find true companionship and love. It could be a desire for a marriage or a career to be more fulfilling than, it, than it's turned out to be. It could be a desire for a clean bill of health, whether that's emotionally or physically. It could be a desire to be free of a destructive habit or an addiction or just that negative self-talk that you deal with. Maybe it's the desire to have an estranged relationship mended, or maybe it's the desire and the longing to be able to conceive, to have a child. The question really is then, how, as followers of Jesus, are we, or how are we to deal with this? What are we to make of unfulfilled desires? Well, this morning, we're going to look at how God uses our unfulfilled desires to do a work in us that we could never, ever do on our own. Today, in honor of Mother's Day, we're going to take a break uh, from talking about uh, things in First Peter from um, talking about being har- harassed and being harangued. We're going to talk. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, but mostly we're going to take a break and we're going to look at a story of one woman who had an unfulfilled desire to be a mom, and how her example is for really for all of us, and how to deal with deep unfulfilled desires. So turn your Bibles to the book, Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. We're going to be looking at the entire first chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. We'll have the words up for you also. But let's, let's just get right in, because there's a lot of verses we're going to look at today. So let's start with just verses 1 and 2. It says this, there was a certain man, and I practice these, of, of Ramathiam Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Joraham, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. Thank goodness names have changed over the years. Holy smokes! <laughs> wow. They, they must be an incredible linguist back then or something, but thank goodness they knew. So, okay. He had two wives, okay? This guy, Elkanah, had two wives. One of the names was, thankfully, Hannah, okay? And the name of the other was Penina. Okay, or pan, yeah, Panina. I believe it's Panina. You want to say Panina? You say Panina, I say Panina. Oh, whatever. Um, whatever. I looked it up actually this morning and it was Panina, okay? 
control your mom. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, the other was Panina. I think Panini, okay? And Panina had children, but Hannah had no children. So here we are. We're introduced to this guy, Elkanah, okay? Elkanah, and he has two wives, Hannah and Panina. Now, Panina has children, and Hannah is apparently unable to conceive. Now, before we go any further, polygamy, just so you know, was really a part of the culture back then. It wasn't God's design, but it was a part of the culture. Nowhere in the Bible does it condone polygamy. The reality is that usually it often caused a lot of trauma and a lot of pain and a lot of problems in a marriage, which we are going to see how that played out today. So let's keep going. The story in verse 3 and 5 says this. Now this man, Elkanah, used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penea, his wife, and to all of her sons and daughters. But Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. So once a year, according to the Mosaic law, people would go to this city of Shiloh, which really what it was was the kind of the religious center for Israel at that time, and they would bring sacrifices and they would worship God. So Elkanah would gather his family, and they would make this 20-mile trek, which for us is no big deal. That's a long way to go on foot. And they would make this trek to Shiloh. Now, as it was customary at these sacrifices that they would do, the priests would get a part of the sacrifice, and another part of that sacrifice would go to be eaten by the family in the presence of God, basically to celebrate how good he has been and how faithful he has been. So they would do that um, all together. But we see here that because Elkanah loved Hannah, and he probably felt bad for her also, he gave her a double portion of the sacrifice. But as we're going to be seeing in these next few verses, Hannah really was in no mood to celebrate, even with the double portion. Not only could Hannah not conceive, she was also getting salt rubbed into her wound. Look at these next few verses. Verses 6 through 8 says, says, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep and why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than 10 sons? So we see here that Hannah had a rival and an adversary. And who was it? The other wife. The other wife, that she was the one that was just driving her crazy. Every year and probably throughout the year, Pania would take jabs at Hannah for not being able to have children. Just another reason to not fault do polygamy, right? Just another good reason. You see, in ancient times, not being able to bear children was really the ultimate humiliation for a woman. Because the hopes of continuing the family name and, and providing an heir was so huge, was a powerful thing. So if you couldn't have kids, that was a big thing. But what we, so what we see here from these verses is that Hannah was a woman with real problems. She was a, pro, a woman with real life problems. The reality is that living with unfulfilled desires, great or small, is a normal part of life. Even the Christian life, it is normal part 
of life. And often these are starting points for God to do a work in us that we could absolutely never do or accomplish on our own. I mean, Jesus promised, didn't he, that this life would be difficult. In this world, you will have tribulation, he said. It will be hard. In our, in our, first, uh, in our study in 1 Peter, we've been looking at God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty is an amazing thing. God being sovereign means that he has total control over all things, past, present, and future. Nothing happens that is out of God's control or out of his knowledge. All things are either caused or allowed by him for his purposes through his perfect will and his perfect time. You see, God not only knew that Hannah was not able to conceive, it was his plan to use it in a way that she could never comprehend Notice in the text that Hannah couldn't see why. Because the Lord had closed her womb. I think so often we look at unfulfilled desires in our life and only see them as what God is not allowing us to have or what God's not allowing us to do or things that we're not able to enjoy that everybody else seems to be able to enjoy. But the truth of the matter is that God is always working behind the scenes to accomplish something great in our lives, and ultimately for his purpose. And we're gonna see that as we go along here. And usually this typically happens in the context of real life problems, like unfulfilled desires. Now we see Hannah's husband, Elkanah, tries to console her by pulling really the quintessential guy move and completely missing the mark by asking her, why are you so sad? Surely having a husband like me should be enough. More salt into the womb. Thank, wound. Thank you very much, Elkanah. Thanks a lot, buddy. Not much help there. So in this next section, we're going to see the depth of Hannah's grief and how she responds to it. Let's look at this next section, verses 9 through 11. It says, After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give, to him, to the, give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head." So in the midst of the dis disappointment of being barren, having a husband that completely didn't understand the grief that she was dealing with, the depth of it, and living in a home that really wasn't a safe place emotionally for her, what Hannah does, she cries out to the Lord in prayer. Now, at first glance, this might look like one of those prayers like, God, if you do this for me, I promise I'll do this for you kind of prayers. Kind of looks like that, doesn't it? But unlike most prayers that are prayed this way, like that either usually have a half-hearted intentions to actually follow through or promising something ridiculously unrealistic, Hannah's prayer is actually from the heart. It's because she was a woman of complete surrender. Hannah was a woman of complete surrender. We see this in the depth of the vow and the promise that she makes. You see, they were Levites. Levites. 
His family, they were Levites. And the, this is the tribe of Israel that was set aside to minister before the Lord on behalf of all of the other tribes. Yet each, of the, each Levite's male, their service was only for a period of time. They would serve before the Lord for a period of time, then they were done. Then others would take their place. Now, this reference that you see in here, it says, no razor will touch his head. Well, this is a reference to an outward symbol of the Nazarites. They vowed to dedicate their lives to the Lord, to God in every way, but once again, for a specific amount of time. What Hannah's doing here is she's saying that if the Lord will give her a child, she will give him back to him in an even greater way for his entire life. Not for just a segment that the law requires, but for his entire life. In other words, Hannah's, Hannah vowed completely to give back to the Lord the very thing that she was asking him to give her. This wasn't a simple, you do this for me and I'll do that for you, God, kind of prayer. She, she says it, she and herself, we see that she is 100% the Lord's servant, and her selfless, selfless prayer reflects that truth. And I'm sure this wasn't the first time that Hannah prayed this prayer. She, she probably prayed for a child for years. Yet, could you imagine every time another baby comes into the family from the, the antagonist, she's thinking, God, why, please, please. Yet it seems like, though, from this story, that it took her getting to this point of deep desperation in order to be willing to make this kind of vow. Ever wonder why God isn't doing something in your life? Oftentimes, he's causing you to wait a little bit because there's more work to be done because he wants more of us. Sometimes that's what it takes to get us to this place, to give everything to God. You see, the kind of relationship that God desires from us is one of complete, 100% surrender. Not because he wants to ruin our fun. It's because he's a perfect father and knows and wants what's best for his children. And sometimes the best for us is to get to a place where we're in utter helplessness and desperation so that we will in turn surrender our deepest longings to him so that his plan and that his purpose can be worked out in and through us. So often we think, I know what I want to do for the Lord. He's, a lot of times he say, wait a second, I got bigger plans. I got bigger plans. And sometimes those plans involve suffering and living with unfulfilled desires because he's trying to get us to a place where we're just going to say, okay, all of it. I really mean it. All of it is yours. Well, in this next section, we see an interesting interaction between Hannah and the high priest. In verses 12 to 16, it says this, as she continued praying before the Lord, Eli, he's the high priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, therefore Eli took it to, her, to be as a drunken woman, and Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For all along, I've been speaking out of my great anxiety 
and vexation. So here we see Hannah's pouring her heart out before the Lord in front of the temple, and she's probably just kind of moving her mouth a little bit, just praying like that. And the priest, he sees her and looks at her, and he assumes that she's drunk. Now, this says a lot about the spiritual state of Israel at that time, that you could, like, you could go to church and your mouth is moving and you're assumed to be drunk. This is really where the state of spiritually where Israel was. And this is going to be the beautiful story of where this, where this all leads. But it's amazing that that's, that's how bad things were, that she was accused of. Talk about a little more salt in that wound. Are you drunk, lady? No. Oh, my gosh. You too? You know, can you just see her? So she goes on to tell you, listen, I'm not drunk, but I'm deeply troubled in spirit, and I've been pouring my heart out to God. I've been pouring out to the Lord. And after hearing this, Eli says in verse 17, he says, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went on her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. That was interesting. It seems like God was actually using the high priest to let, know, let Hannah know that in some way her prayer had been answered. This is just what Hannah needed to hear. She just really, this is perfect timing for her. Because notice after hearing this, she ate and she was no longer sad. What this tells us is that Hannah was a woman of faith. Hannah was a woman of faith. The point isn't that Hannah knew like right then and there, oh, great, I'm having a kid probably in a a couple of months. No, that's not the point, that she knew she was going to have a child. The point is that Hannah was confident that God would answer her prayer in whatever way he chose to do. And now her joy came from her faith in God, not her circumstance anymore. She believed in God and what he could do. Hannah's faith in God which was strengthened by her desperation for him, gave her confidence that God was at work in the midst of this unfulfilled desire that she had. Now, faith, let's talk about that for a little bit. Faith, defined in Hebrews chapter 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is this strong belief in something that you can't explicitly prove. Yet you know and you believe that it's true. Billy Graham famously said, can you see God? You haven't seen him? I've never seen the wind. I see the effects of the wind, but I've never seen the wind. There's a mystery to it. And another illustration from the world of science, which I checked with uh, Nelson to make sure it was on point and we're good. Uh, now, the, so it says this, an announcement was made in July 4th of 2012 that was so big that a thousand scientists stood in line all night long to get into the room where the announcement would be made. The head of the coolest new toy in the world of particle physics, once again, talk to Nelson Moore, if this just goes over your head, it goes over mine, so you're uh, The $10 billion large hard-drawn collider straddled France and Switzerland was about to give what many anticipated to be a groundbreaking pronouncement. This subatomic particle... Yeah, you, I'm going to have you come up here and give this thing. The subatomic particle has been theorized for... Oh, well, I'm sorry, let me go back. Let me go back later. He was going to give this announcement that they believed to be the Higgs boson particle. They were going to say, we found it. We we know that it's there. This subatomic particle has been theorized for over 50 years, 
but has never been seen, never measured, never proven. It's so fundamental, though, in shaping the universe that some scientists have called it the God particle. An article in the New York Times about the Higgs boson announcement had this to say, confirmation of the Higgs boson or something very much like it would constitute a rendezvous with destiny for a generation of physicists who have believed in the boson for half a century century without ever seeing it. Now, isn't that interesting? These scientists have believed in something that they cannot see and previously have been unable to prove. They've believed that this unproven particle, because they could see, because of what they could see, had convinced them that it had to be there. And so it is with Christian believers in this unseen God who we can't prove exists. We know that he exists because we can see, because what we can see reveals his power, it reveals his divine nature. It's not, it's not irrational to believe in God. It really isn't. On the contrary, it's not, it couldn't, nothing could be more rational than believe in God. Hannah's faith in, the, in God allowed her to believe that he would answer her prayer in his timing and according to his will, which in turn lifted her spirits. Now, in the next couple of verses, we see the answer now to Hannah's prayer. Verses 19 and 20 say, they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house in Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Now, verse 20 says that in due time, Hannah conceived, which means that what it happened in God's perfect timing. We don't know how long that was. We don't know if he conceived right away, but eventually she conceived, and it was God's perfect timing. And we need to remember that. Because sometimes our prayers are answered with a wait, aren't they? Sometimes they're answered with no. But whether God chooses to say yes, no, or wait, especially to our prayer concerning this unfulfilled desire, what he is ultimately doing, ultimately, is he is deepening us, deepening us in our faith and deepening us in our trust in him. Now, remember, faith is a strong belief in God, even in the absence of logical proof. Trust is a firm confidence and reliance in his character, okay? It's a trust and reliance in his character and his integrity. And it shows himself by completely relying on God to do the absolute impossible something that we could never do on our own. And this is something, I gotta tell you, this is something, this week has rocked my world a little bit with this passage because I think I came to a place and realized that I don't trust God like I thought I did. I have, I've always had tremendous faith, never had a problem with faith. But I realized, I, I struggle with trust. Why am I worried about that? Why am I anxious about that thing? A lot of times it's because I don't trust God to do something that I could never do on my own. And only if he doesn't show up, I'm dead meat. 
I, I want to learn that. I want to be that. And that's what Hannah did. That's the kind of trust that she had. It's this, it's this confidence. Um, Christian apologist Henry Morris gives us, this is kind of one way to look at it if it would help you because trust and faith are very inter, interlinked. He says this, faith is a noun. It is something you have or possess, a substance or evidence of things both hoped for and not seen. Faith, is God, faith in God is the confident belief that he is sovereign, the sovereign creator of all things and that he can and will do what he claims. Trust, on the other hand, is a verb. It is something you do or act upon. Faith always comes first, but trust is never guaranteed. It is a willful choice, a deliberate action, and can only grow out of your faith. We see that Hannah was a woman of trust because of the willful choice and the deliberate action that she takes because of her faith. She takes action on it. Look at verses 21 and 23. It says this, the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pray his vow and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. We see here that the following year, Elkanah again, he takes his family to Shiloh to offer sacrifices and to worship God. Yet Hannah tells him that she wants to wait. I don't want to go there yet. I want to wait until Samuel is fully weaned before I return there and dedicate him to the Lord. And fully weaned back then was about probably three to five years old. Okay, so I want to wait a little bit. So lastly, in these last verses, she says this, verses 24 to 28. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh, and the child was young, Then she slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, O my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child I I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. So finally, Hannah takes Samuel to Eli, the priest, to be given for service of the Lord. Could you imagine the sacrifice that Hannah was making right here? She was giving her son Samuel for service to the Lord under the high priest. What's happening is Hannah is fully trusting God for the life and for the future of her son. So much so that she is able to fulfill her vow, even at such a huge personal sacrifice. Having full confidence, she knows that she is making the right decision. Let me ask you this morning, what are some choices that you can make or actions you can take in order to completely rely on God to do what is absolutely impossible for you to do on your own. I'm going to ask you that again. It's a long sentence. 
What are some choices that you can make or actions that you can take in order to completely rely on God to do what is absolutely impossible for you to do on your own? It might be a new way of thinking. It might be something you know you need to do but you're afraid to do because if God doesn't show up, Another question, what unfulfilled desire in your life are you willing to surrender completely to God so that his plan and his purpose can ultimately be fulfilled in and through you? What unfulfilled desire? Last question, what is it that you need to believe about God in order for your joy to come from your faith in him and not in your unfulfilled desire finally getting met. Okay, what is it? What do I need to believe about God? What do I need to fully believe so that I can turn trust him and step out and think a new way or do a new thing and act in a way or do something I've been holding back? What is it I need to do? For many women, Mother's Day can be a very difficult day dealing with unfulfilled desires. Yet the reality is all of us are living with some sort of pain, some sort of disappointment from unfulfilled desires. The good news is, though, that we can be sure that God uses these unfulfilled desires to do and work in us that we could never, ever do on our own. In Hannah's case, it was her complete surrender of her deepest longing, and it was her faith and her trust in God to fulfill that purpose in her life and ultimately God's purpose. You see, Samuel, Samuel grows up to be one of the greatest and the most influential leaders in Israel's history. Isn't that amazing? What God did, how God answered that prayer, got her to a place where she was suffering. And this was God's plan all along, to get her to a place where she would freely give her child, and then God's plan in her life and the rest of the nation would be fulfilled. Oh my goodness. That's great, great news. Remember, God wants to use the unfulfilled desires in yours and my life to do great work in and through us. Let him start today. Let him start today. I'm with you. You're going to start? I'm trying to. Let's start today. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you see and know all that's going on. We thank you that you are a sovereign God. Pray this morning for all of us in this room. I pray specifically for those in this room that are sitting here knowing and they can identify, they can put their finger on that desire, that unfulfilled desire that they've just been choking the joy out of their life. Father, I pray for all of us with that feeling And living with that, God, that you would bring a sense of renewed hope, not because we've got it figured out, but because we know we can have faith in who you are. We can trust in you, God. Help us to make the moves, the mindset, whatever it takes. We ask you, we beg you, as Hannah did, help us. Help us to be the men and women 
that you so desire us to be. Allow us to embrace those unfulfilled desires as opportunities for you to do things in us that we could never, ever imagine doing ourselves. We ask it in your son's name. Amen. I would, I would encourage you this morning afterwards, if you've got something like that happening, we have prayer up here in the front. This is a great time to take advantage of that and have someone pray for you to help you on that journey of uh, living with that unfulfilled desire in, in a way that he would desire.